Thanks for tuning in to the Providence Leftist Radio Podcast, where we seek to build a network of leftists in the so-called state of Rhode Island. If you like what you hear, please follow us on social media and go to our Instagram. Uh, Particularly, that's where we do most of our social mediaing. And look for our Patreon and be a backer for bonus content. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Evan. I'm Andy. Our guest for today is going to be PVD Community Fridge. That's the one on Broad Street will be joining us in the second half of the show, so tune in for that. So how are you guys doing this week? It's been a busy week. It's been a friggin' cold week, too, but uh, today, actually, I'm picking up some dry goods and hopefully raiding your pantry as well to bring some stuff over to uh, our guest. Yeah, so we can get that done and contribute to the community a little bit and uh, help out some friends, and uh, yeah, that'll be good. Uh, I don't think it counts as, like, a cool weekend activity but uh something that you could do i guess if you felt so moved would be to uh prep up to go vote uh i'm gonna talk a little bit about this special election coming up on march 2nd it's a state referenda um i'm going out of this voter information handbook uh alex got it in the mail it's newsprint green and black ink it explains everything Uh, So if you got one, too, that is a sign that you are registered to vote. And if you are a person who votes, and I'm not here to tell you that you should or shouldn't, everybody has their reasons, Uh, in a couple weeks there's going to be this election, and so I will try to explain what these ballot measures are so that if you do decide to vote, you can at least be minimally informed. Um, So according to this booklet, there are seven issues. Uh, They're bond issues, meaning... um, the state wants to borrow money, <clears throat> wants to borrow money, uh, and the state gets a certain amount of money, and we as the people just cross our fingers and hope that the options are not too scary. Uh, they're all pretty uh, important this time around. Um, so the state wants to borrow money to make some improvements. Uh, keep in mind, loans like this mean you have to pay it back over time plus an additional percentage. The initial amount that you borrow is called the principal, principal, and then the added amount is the interest. On average, it's something like 5 or 6%, and then there are also issuance costs, uh, which is like a service charge, so uh, that money covers the costs of anything extra. Uh, in Louisiana, we call that lanyap. And so there is uh, the principal and interest for the project itself, and then a principal and interest on the uh, issuance costs. And uh, the total gets paid back uh, over like 20 years. Um, the first question here is about higher education facilities. They want to borrow $107.3 million to split three ways between URI's Fine Arts Center, Rick's Science Center, and CCRI, uh, just like in general, to undergo a quote modernization which would cost $12 million, it says, but I don't, I don't really know what a modernization means and when it's put as generally as that. Uh, the interest amount for all you math wizards out there is $64,900,592, which brings our grand total to $172,200,592 to be paid back chunk by chunk, over 20 years. 
the booklet does give timelines. So these projects are projected to be completed by 2024 and ought to have something called uh, useful life for 30 to 50 years, uh, which is what it sounds like. And I have to wonder how much of my life could be considered useful. After those 30 years, you have to spend another X amount of million dollars to make sure that it keeps going. It's kind of like, if you put it in that kind of terms, it doesn't seem like it's really worth it. It's like 30 years doesn't seem like that much time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know how important this is in terms of like where else that money could go or if it's a good thing. I personally have a vested interest in higher education. I have degrees the last 10 Years of my career have been in education. Also, my parents both teach at their local public university in Louisiana. And my mom, in the English department, who has been like a unionized worker for over 20 years, has been in these shitty windowless, asbestos-ridden closet offices and rundown buildings. Um, I also went to school there for a minute. I went to Louisiana public schools my whole upbringing. And... You know, I can say that it is hard to do well when everything is physically falling apart around you. Um, but that's my experience. I don't know what the facilities are like here. I don't know what the communities are like. The setup at uh, Brown and RISD is probably pretty nice. Uh, and no doubt the less bougie schools could also use an update. Um, okay, number two of seven was written probably by Leslie Nope or something. It's a big Parks and Rec project. I feel like I talk about that a lot. Uh, they want to borrow $74 million to make uh, make improvements to some beaches, parks, campgrounds, athletic fields, rec centers. And actually, they were generous enough to toss $3 million to um, conservation efforts, as well as the very vague statement providing economic opportunities to rural communities, whatever that means. Uh, no surprise, most of it is pretty vague. The word infrastructure is used eight times. Fortunately, there is a glossary at the back of this book, and now I know that infrastructure uh, means the basic physical facilities and organizational structures needed for operations. Uh, Google Maps, I looked up uh, the specific places that are named in the book, and Google Maps shows me that they're all on the coast. Uh, and Wikipedia told me that tourism is the state's second largest industry. So I guess they're expecting a boom uh, in tourism in the next five years. Not, not if we don't get this vaccine business sorted out. Uh, although the number one industry is healthcare. So I guess they either need us to die or live long enough to check out the new infrastructure at Colt State Park. That's right. Come for the infrastructure, stay for the economic opportunities in rural communities. Number three, housing and community opportunities. 65 million completed by 2026, increasing availability of affordable housing. Sounds good to me. Number four, transportation infrastructure. State match 71.7 million for this year and next. Uh, to match the federal funds, we got to improve the roads, highways, bridges, etc. Number five, establishing an early childhood care and education capital fund, $15 million. As a longtime child care worker, I feel a way about this one. The fund would be overseen by DHS. Um, I've worked in state-assisted facilities, and the workers, because we cared about our kids, would 
do our best to provide, but I tell you, it was it was really tough. All teachers spend their own money on their classes, and that's really hard to do when you're making $11 an hour and have bills to pay. But they do it because teachers are amazing. Uh, number six, the Cultural Arts and Economy Grant Program and State Preservation Grants Program. $6 million to match grants from RISCA, which is the Arts Council, divided between Trinity Rep, the Philharmonic, and quote-unquote other uh, then an additional million for building maintenance in places like museums, cultural centers, nonprofit historical sites, aka shit that generates revenue by attracting tourists and like field trips and stuff. Uh, and lastly, number seven, industrial facilities infrastructure. There's that word again. Uh, a cool 60 million for facilities renovations managed by the QDC, the Quonset Development Corporation, who I looked up, and in their industrial park, they have 200 residents. Um, we've got the American Muscle Car Restoration, a couple of yacht spots, uh, Boy Scouts, got a Dave's in there, something called White Machine, but I was too scared to click on that link. I do love American Muscle Cars. I, I, can, I can be that guy in the podcast. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's... Uh, so, you know, who knows what they might bring. The booklet mentions manufacturing and other activities, whatever that means. Uh, then we've got our vocabulary words, then contact info for all the town halls, board of elections, the number for a disability rights group. Um, you can vote from home with a mail-in ballot, also known as an absentee ballot, if you turned in your application by the 9th, which has come and gone. Uh, and she comes in the mail with her own little envelope so you can fill it all out, sign it, then pop that bing bong in a blue box and call it. You can track it online, too, to make sure it was counted. You don't need a stamp, but they do recommend that you have it in by February 23rd to make sure it is received by Election Day. There are also these handy uh, ballot drop boxes. There's special boxes around town so you don't have to worry about the postal workers, bless their hearts, losing your shit. And the Yacht Club doesn't get its infrastructure. Uh, or you can vote in person, wearing a mask and getting your little temperature taken anytime before March 2nd, which is the day of the actual election. So if you go in before that, it's considered early voting and there's less of a likelihood of a crowd, long line, exposure to a certain virus that a lot of people don't have resources to survive. Um, you just show the poll worker your ID and they will give you a ballot to fill out to fill in the bubble. And then you put it in this little privacy sleeve and slip it into the machine, and, and that's it. Uh, if you're registered and you don't know where to go, you can look online or call your city hall, check in with the Board of Canvassers, and they will tell you where your polling place is, uh, which will depend on the address on your registration. Uh, if you're like me and you have limited hand mobility, the fill-in-the-bubble ballots can be tough, and when you sign it, if your signature doesn't match what they have on file, they can toss it. So for people with like cerebral palsy or limb differences or people with tremors or something, like I said, uh, if, you, if, it, if writing is difficult, the mail-in is kind of a risky option. Um, if you go in person with any disability, you can use the accessible machines, which will auto-mark it for you. Uh, you don't need to have like a doctor's note or fill out a form or anything. You can also have a buddy help you. That is allowed. And I've had friends come in and help me out before. Uh, it does suck that disabled people are highly at risk for getting really, really sick with COVID. And if we want to vote, we got to essentially put ourselves in danger. 
But, you know, get your mask on, wash your hands, go early, stand six feet away, don't let the poll workers spit in your mouth. All the stuff you've hopefully already been doing. Uh, If you're not registered, it's a little bit late for this one. It's a special Rhode Island rule that you can't do same-day registration and vote on local things. Um, But you can register online if you want. Vote.ri.gov has info. No shame if you do or don't. Uh, This book is also available online so you can do your own reading and researching due diligence. Uh, Pair this with your social media research. Find out what people are saying. Uh, what's on the ballot is vague as hell, so you're going to want some context. And and do your thing, whatever feels right to you. Some people think that voting is a form of harm reduction. Some think it's a tool of colonization. Some say it's useless. Some say it's the cornerstone of democracy. I say throw the whole government away, to borrow a phrase. Uh, let's put our effort into desperately needed social programs. But that's me. I can... I can be severe, and even though I believe a better world is possible, I get pessimistic. But uh, but that's that's all I've got on the state referenda coming coming up here, March second. My thing is, I I feel like referenda votes are more democratic. So, like, even if you are an anarchist and you don't believe in voting for politicians, I feel like referenda are the exception to that, because you're not voting for a person when you're voting for these referendums. You're voting for, like, money allocations or legalizing marijuana or something like that. Like, most of the progressive legislation that we praise Colorado for when it comes to uh, drug usage happened through referenda rather than through politicians actually voting it in. And so... I mean, that's something to consider. I, it, I think Evan is right that the majority of those um, uh, ballot questions are really vague, and so it's kind of hard to know exactly where the money's going in to, which means that like when I, when I read through the list of, of what we're voting for, everything seems kind of common sense to me except for industrial development. But I don't know where that money for industrial development is going in order to be against it. It just seems kind of broad. Um, But yeah, and the same, I mean, conservation sounds great. It's something that I would always vote for. But again, I don't really know the details of of who gets that money for conservation. Uh, And you want to make sure that that money is all used correctly, too. And that goes not just for conservation, but for affordable housing, transportation, um, child care fund, uh, and all, cultural arts is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the higher education thing, yeah, I, I guess I sympathize with that too, because the, the colleges that they are proposing to fund are state colleges. And so I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind that it's not Brown University, for example, who funds its own construction projects through its own tuition costs. These are colleges that are state colleges, so therefore depend on the state for funding. Um, so that's something to consider, I guess, when, when thinking about uh, the higher education question referenda. Every teacher spends their own money on their classes, so... 
I just, yeah, this would, like, go a long way, I guess. That's true. All right. Um, I wanted to talk. I had, so I put this narration vocal on me, and it sounds so goofy now, so I'm not sure. <clears throat> I what forgot. to do, give you an echo? No, it, like, it really narrows it in. Like, it sounds cool, but it also sounds kind of goofy, so I want to, like, change it. But I guess you can't change it while you're in the middle of of uh, recording. That's all right. I wanted to talk about two related topics um, to the referenda, kind of. They're, they're both brought up, although this particular case study is not. Uh, and this one is specific to East Providence, although I think that when used as a case study, it's revealing for other cities, including Providence and our neighbors to the north. Uh, and that is, if you walked around East Providence in the spring, if you went on the bike path or anything, or through neighborhoods, you probably saw street signs that said, keep Metacomet green. They were everywhere. And I remember seeing them and having no idea what it meant and just kind of laughing at the fact that the average person walking by wouldn't understand what it meant because that's all it said was keep Metacomet green. But the issue actually concerns the potential for development of a very old golf course in East Providence called Metacomet Golf Course. The original golf course has gone bankrupt and there's this Pawtucket developer named Marshall Properties that's trying to acquire the rights to that property in order to turn it into another residential, uh, to, to build more residential areas in a office development park. And the city, the city council in East Providence seem mostly aware that doing so is environmentally irresponsible, and so it's weighing the use of eminent domain which, if you don't know, is the process whereby a city or administrative body can seize control of the lands through legal means. Uh, in, in neoliberal states, that power is really frowned upon because it does amount to, to some people as executive overreach because you're essentially inserting the power of the state into the property market, right, by the state seizing that land and and restricting it from private buyers. But, so there are two violently opposed sides to this debate over uh, Metacomet Golf Course. There's those that believe that the city has the right to conserve the land and to turn it into a public park, especially because the golf course is so old that it technically uh, can be registered as a, as a historic site. No kidding, wow. Uh, and, th- and this position that wants the state, wants the city to use eminent domain is championed by Representative Greg Amore. And then there's those who believe that private enterprise has a right to do what they want with the property uh, as long as they have the financial resources to buy it. But at the same time, the city of East Providence is engaged in this initiative to address residents' housing needs, which... In the time of COVID-19, as we all know, there are families, even in East Providence, just like there are in Providence, that are struggling to pay their bills. Uh, and 
the city's solution is this new housing referenda, which limits or defers the payment of taxes for certain residents. And it reserves the ability to do this to certain, quote, eligible families. Uh, and it doesn't, at least from what I've read, it doesn't really provide that much of a, uh, of a development or understanding of what would qualify someone for these deferments. And there's a temptation to assume that allowing Marshall properties to build more houses would lower the cost of rent overall for city residents in East Providence. But this is a mistake that cities, I think, across the United States have been making for the past 50 or so years. Uh, and even particularly our neighbors to the north in Boston and the surrounding areas, the reason why rent is so high up there is precisely because developers keep building new housing complexes with uh, inflated renting price prices. So have you ever wondered why there's so many empty apartment buildings in every city that you go to? It, it's because companies like Marshall Properties use residential units to store capital in. They don't build these units in order to alleviate houselessness or in order to help the community. They just want to make their return in the property and then get an annual profit from it. And what's even more dangerous is that companies like Marshall Properties, they get to arbitrarily set the, the cost of rent on these properties. So let's say Marshall Properties builds a new apartment complex on Metacomet Golf Course and they charge, um, let's say, $2,000 per two-bedroom apartment in these new areas. That will allow every other landlord in the city of East Providence to look at the profits that Marshall is able to extract from East Providence residents and empower them to increase their own rates of rent. And so what you get is you get this overall boom in housing costs across the board. And again, this is what is happening in Boston. This is what has been happening for a long time in San Francisco. Uh, spilling over into Oakland, and the whole process, of course, is uh, is a part of the broader process of gentrification of cities, kicking out low-income families. So the bottom line is that building more houses with new facilities uh, only makes housing more expensive, and it adds to the general value of the city in increasing costs across the board. So the neoliberal solution of building more in order to drive down the cost is it doesn't work, uh, and I and I hope that the city of East Providence, before it allows Marshall Properties to buy the Metacomet Golf Course and to commit this mistake, understands that it's undercutting its own commitment, its own supposed commitment to alleviating the housing crisis in East Providence, and that brings me back to Metacomet. There's an article in the East Providence Reporter that I read where uh, the writer Robert Amen, who I believe his intentions were really good, he said that there has to be some kind of common ground between those private property people and the, the city officials who want to use eminent domain. But I think that the reality is that there is no middle ground in this debate. Either the people in charge of the city learn to overcome their discomfort and they exercise that executive authority and 
preserve the land of the city for the residents that are here, or they allow East Providence to fall into the same housing trap as every other gentrified city in the country. Um, and, I mean, basically, in 2021, I don't think that we need more empty apartment buildings in cities. We need to instead devote more time and energy to making sure that the housing that we do have is safe and affordable and that the residents have the means to support themselves rather than these new lofty uh, apartment complexes. The problem isn't a lack of houses, it's a lack of financial support from municipal authorities, in my opinion. So that's my spiel on the Keep Metacomic Green. You know where I stand with that, I suppose. So you would like it to stay as a park or become a park? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I just don't want to see more apartment complexes come to cities like Providence or East Providence. What if they made it like Section 8 or affordable housing? Well, that's what these, that's what these property owners do, right? They, they build these massive complexes where you have, let's say, uh, 40 apartments in, in one building. And then they reserve two of those for Section 8 or low-income just because they get subsidy from the state for doing that. But then the rest of the 38 apartments can be a fuck ton of money that they still make a profit on, and then they get that money from the state, too. So how would you feel if all the apartments were under that umbrella of affordable housing? I mean, I still don't think that it would do much for the city of East Providence. Because like I said, there's still plenty of empty residential units in Providence and East Providence. And the, that property, Marshall Properties, that's just a way for them to get money from the city, from the state, in the subsidized housing thing. They, that doesn't mean that, I mean, they still get to arbitrarily set the price of their rent. So if they decide that a one-bedroom apartment is going to be $1,500 a month, then the state would subsidize a part of that for somebody with low income. So they're still making that huge profit no matter what. Um, the the whole like uh, Section 8 subsidized housing thing is kind of a get-rich-quick scheme for development companies, if you see it that way. So again, the problem isn't that we need more housing units. That's been the, the idea of Boston City for a long time and the surrounding area that if you keep building, building, building Charlie Baker's whole plan for his first years was keep building units and the rent will eventually go down but it doesn't work so instead you just have all these empty new apartment buildings with rent that's way too high for people who don't make $15 an hour to afford you know Tommy talks about that a lot in California and over in Oakland. He has a lot to say about that. I think San Francisco is the, the, the most notorious case study of this whole thing, the whole process of gentrification and, and uh, the crisis in the housing market. That, I mean, and these things are related, right? You build more houses, the price goes up. Um, people with low income can't afford to pay the rent anymore, and so they leave. And only the rich people can come in and buy those units. Um, I just don't want the same thing to happen in East Providence, although I think it's probably already beginning in Providence. But East Providence is already a rich area. Yeah. 
parts of it. Definitely. That's my meta comic spiel. <clears throat> that was good. I learned something. That was good. I got something out of that. Good. I'm glad because I did too. Because I had kept seeing this, the keep metacomic green signs, and I kept reading tangentially about it in in the newspapers, but I didn't do the actual research to figure out like what is this whole debate about what you know what is metacomic. So I finally did that, and I figured that I would bring the information that I learned to the podcast so that everybody is made aware. It's hard to get the appropriate amount of information. So you have to do your own footwork sometimes. Just like this referendum that went out, they have to walk like this fine line between telling you enough that you're informed and not overloading you with information that you just don't care anymore. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's risky. It puts power into people's hands, but people are easily swayed. Like, you remember in California, uh, there was that Uber contract driver situation going on where um, Uber and Lyft wanted to keep people as independent contractors so they didn't have to pay them benefits and like different kinds of wages and they had this huge like propaganda campaign and um, they duped the people of California into thinking that it was a good idea to keep them as independent contractors and the drivers all suffered but this is what happens like if you put the power in the people's hands the people don't always make the right decisions either Mm -hmm. and I mean you put it in the representative's hands it's on the uh virtue of the representative to represent the people in the way that they deem fit so i mean this is the whole system is no matter which way you cut it's flawed and fucked the best you can do is try to stay informed so if you see an issue that is related to your community try to seek out information about it which is the whole point of this podcast right is to try to you try to find uh, issues that are relevant to Rhode Island and try to make sense of them as leftists. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So the housing situation in East Providence can be kind of hard to understand without it being explained to you, and you did a great job. But what I'm talking about today is the price of insulin. As you may or may not be aware, insulin was patented for a dollar, and the price of insulin has gone up to over $1,400 a month. To address this, the former President Trump has tried to pull drugs from Canada down here to give to us for cheap, which has pissed off the Canadians because they worry that they're going to have enough for their 37 million people. And there's been a lot of activity with local politicians trying to take the reins and do something about this. The ideas have gone from uh, the senator from Warren, Walter Flagg, He wants pharmacists to give consumers more informed choices when they're buying their medication, like the purchase of off-brand products and that kind of thing. Also, House Speaker Brian Kennedy has put forward a legislation to lower the monthly maximum to be no greater than $100 for a 30-day supply. Also, uh, Rhode Island Senator Melissa A. Murray wants to limit the insulin copay to $50 for a month's supply. Lastly, David Morales, Rhode Island State Rep for District 7, has the lowest price point, it's $25 per month, and recently held a, a testimony drive online where if you had some kind of story about you, a friend, or a family member who was going through problems and wasn't able to buy the insulin that they needed or had to do really crazy things or sell things to get the insulin that they needed, he wanted you to message him so he could use your testimony on the floor and then use that as a way to 
sway people's opinions to lower it down to $25 because there's a lot of politicians that are working on this. And I think they all want this on their record saying that they put forward a way to lower the prices of insulin for their constituents. But it's running like a gamut of prices. Like I said, you have 100, you got 50, you got 25, you got people that are trying to say, oh, just give them more choices and they can figure it out. It's good for them. But I would recommend that you seek out David Morales because he's got the, the lowest amount that he's trying to push through. He just put a bill on the floor. The number is H. 5151 or Hotel 5151. It's by far the most affordable for the people. It's going to give people an opportunity to live safely and not have to ration their drugs or not take their drugs because they can't afford them and risk their life or limb. So if you could, give them some support. Uh, David Morales RI, that's his tag on Instagram. This is not a political endorsement by any means, but Looking at the other politicians that are talking about this issue, I think that he has the the biggest benefit for us. So I would uh, reach out to him if he asks for another testimony drive and try to help him out because helping him out in this situation can have great, great results for a lot of people in this state and the city. Today is the PVD Community Bridge on Broad Street, and the the first question I wanted to ask is just um, for you guys to uh, explain a little bit about yourselves, who you are, and how you came to the idea for a community fridge. Awesome. Uh, my name is Sarah Federici. Um, I am sort of like project managing our fridge. And so I, um, I was really inspired by other community fridges that I saw, I like started seeing popping up like from the beginning of the pandemic. And it really like, just the whole movement was super inspiring to me because I'm a cook. I went to Johnson & Wales for um, culinary arts and then came back for culinary nutrition and like studying nutrition sort of got me into like the social aspect of food and uh, really opened a door to like just seeing all of the food disparity that's all around me. Like, I feel like we don't tend to think locally about food disparity, but like hunger is all around us. And so to be able to help in any small way is like super valuable. And so that's like, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to jump in and start this project. And then I've had like these guys and a couple other people on the fridge team, like be really, really supportive and like helped us actually be able to get it off the ground. So if you, I don't know if you guys want to introduce yourselves. Yeah, go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves too. Cool. Um, hi, my name is Matt Gway and I'm also a Johnson & Wales graduate. I am actually a graphic designer so um like being friends with sarah and like her taking on this project has like opened my eyes to like all of the issues that people are facing with food disparity in that food insecurity realm of uh, stuff so i wanted to pitch in and do as much as i could however i could help and my wheelhouse is like 
designing brands and like building structures and stuff. And we ended up needing a shed to house the fridge and like a pantry and stuff to do that. So I undertook kind of like the design and build aspect of it all, where it was like taking all the ideas and bringing it into fruition. Yeah. All right. Uh, Y'all able to hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Sorry, I was having a bit of Zoom issues. Uh, hi, my name is Ethan. Uh, just like them, uh, graduate Johnson Wales University. Um, but I graduated with a biology pre-med degree. Um, and I've been playing more of like helping out with building the fridge, helping them bring the idea into fruition, as well as like a little bit of like, I suppose like the graphic design and stuff on the side with like drawings and things like that. Um, can you guys explain to us a little bit the process of putting the fridge up? I'm talking about uh, sourcing the power for it, uh, building it. As you said, you had to build a shed for it, all of that technical stuff. Yeah, so we actually um, wanted to get this like fridge going in, I think we had the idea to like set one up on the west side of Providence in um, like mid-June or early July and it just got set up last week so that's like several months and so you could tell that like we had a bit of a slow start and sort of uh some complications with like trying to like source the power and find a host and getting the actual fridge it was sort of a process um but we actually had we ended up finding our host through the support of another community fridge. So Referee PVD um, was up and running way before us and they were getting interviewed like left and right um, by just like journalists around Providence. And so a couple articles were published and Dana from Referee like gave us a shout out saying that we were looking for a host. And then um, Project Weber Renew saw the article and reached out to us. So that was actually, that was really cool. That's how that uh, came about and then it's like just it's been really powerful um, to like see the spread of information through print because after that article came out and then a couple more came out we had other potential hosts reaching out to us so at first we were really prepared to like get pitches ready and like go door to door knocking on businesses and saying like here's what a community fridge is like would this be something that you're willing to do for us, but since um, Providence and uh, just, I don't know, people in general have become more aware of what the fridge is. They've been excited about it like on their own and have ended up being like, I want to host, can you bring a fridge to us? So that was kind of cool. Um, and that's what Renew ended up doing because they are, um, they're like a harm reduction center. They do a lot of like cool services um, and like they're just already like a really established nonprofit. And before the pandemic, they were sort of doing a similar thing where in their lobby, they had some free supplies, free food and stuff like that, that um, their clientele were able to pick up and eat and whatever. It was like a little makeshift kitchen. But since the pandemic, they had to shut down the lobby. Nobody's allowed to walk in. So they were like, this is something that our uh, clients are really missing out on and so they reached out and they were like if you could um, start a fridge in a pantry we have the need so we just need like a team of people to supply us and that's where we jumped in and we were like this is perfect 
And I, I mean, I, I was really not helpful with the building aspect. So if you guys want to talk about that, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so we were obviously like contacted by Sarah and stuff. And she told us that she had this space and we kind of needed to like custom build it because Providence sidewalks aren't the best. And like the storefront was like a little weird. And normally, um, it's my understanding that like community fridges are made from like donated supplies or like found material and stuff. But we were fortunate enough to have a GoFundMe that raised enough money that we could go and like buy some supplies and all that to build like pretty, pretty nice shed. And so we went and worked with uh, Weber and Renew and stuff and measured out their space and then just drew up some plans using like basic weatherproofed supplies and all that. So it would like survive the harsh snow that Providence gets and all that. And we actually um, just last week went and built it in a shop and stuff and then delivered it in a big U-Haul, brought it down. And we were able to get everything set up and constructed within the span of I think like three days we did it yeah yeah it was three days but yeah it's it's been cool to uh, just see the process like from start to finish because we were able to meet with Renew they have a lot of like physical constraints so they have a big mural outside like their storefront on a couple windows and they really specifically were like we don't want that to be covered at all and then there's also a brick column that um we uh, like custom built the shed to work around. So like the pantry's in front of that and like it's this cool L-shaped like structure. And yeah, so just being able to like custom fit it for the space was really cool to see happen. Uh, Ethan, do you have any, I had to mute you because there was some sound in the background, but just- Yeah, sorry. I mean, they covered it pretty well over the span of like three days we had went to this cute little shop over in New Hampshire where we had just really just every day we're like pressing to make this fridge from like nothing but like the few planks and things you'd find like lying around at Home Depot and stuff like that and it was really rewarding sort of putting it all together and watching it go from just a pile of some variety of plywood to like this whole beautiful structure that we were able to transplant from one place into just the streets of Providence. So um, before you got a invitation from the place where it is now, did you have any ideas for neighborhoods to put it in or were you just kind of looking for anywhere? Yeah, so um, we all actually live on the west side. And so it was like, it was pretty important to me to have it like in our neighborhood um, just because, I don't know, I, 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 like, I like to work close to home. And I think that there is a lot of need in this area. Um, and it sort of worked out perfectly because I, I was already aware that there's like a couple other fridges set up um, like downtown, like more towards Broadway. And I think there's a couple even on the east side, which I sort of didn't expect, but um, there aren't any like deeper onto the west side. Um, so we were definitely looking over there and we're super glad that that worked out. And then we're also looking um, to put one in like Olneyville or Elmwood or just further, uh, further like deeper into this neighborhood. 
and we might actually get to do that. We actually have another community for it. Another host reached out to us and he was super enthusiastic. And so we're getting a second one um, off the ground within the next couple months. So who knows uh, what other neighborhoods after that will be reaching into. All right. Um, so uh, another, I mean, just a, a more about logistics. Do you guys pay for the power of the fridge or does the host pay for it? How do you fund that? Um, we, we launched our GoFundMe campaign really early, expecting that we were going to be paying for the electricity ourselves um, because that's not something that we like it's not an expectation that we place on our hosts, but both hosts that we're working with have um, offered to donate the electricity. And so that's like super helpful for us. It, it, it like the math breaks down to about a dollar a day to keep the fridge powered. So it's $30 a month or a couple hundred dollars a year. Um, so it's like, it's not crazy, but it's also not a tiny, like it's not nothing either. So it's really generous of our hosts. To be donating and so the the money that we raised from the gofundme was able to build a really durable shed and we've been able to use um the like the leftover money to fill up the shed with food and supplies and so that's been really great to make sure that there aren't some days where it's overflowing from like really generous donations and others where it's completely empty because people weren't able to supply it. it's been pretty steady so far um, so it's been a few days since uh, you guys have had things in the pantry part, right? Mm -hmm. um, are things going? Or oh, yeah, so I um, well between me and the among the the whole team of like these guys and a couple other people in like our our fridge team, um, we try to check up on it every single day, sometimes a couple times a day. And like I, there was a couple days in a row where I would go pretty early in the morning and then again in the evening and like almost the whole stock would be rotated out. There's a couple things that um, for some reason they've been there for days, like uh, some pancake mixes and like a couple cans of beans that for some reason nobody wants. Um, but other than that, like supplies fly off the shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, so the rotation has been like, not even a full day. It's been like a, a matter of hours. Oh, that's good. Um, and if listeners wanted to donate, do you have, uh, how can they donate? Do they just show up or what? Yeah, so there's a bunch of ways to donate actually. Um, you, If you wanna donate food or any supplies, you can show up at the fridge. Um, there should be, we're trying to work on getting like a mount for some hand sanitizer and wipes so that everybody is like as clean and safe as possible. Obviously, like we ask that all of our volunteers wear masks um, when they're dropping food off. Um, but yeah, you can just show up at 640 Broad Street and donate to the pantry. The fridge itself still doesn't have power because we've been having some electrician issues. Um, so we're asking that nobody leaves anything in the fridge that like actually needs to be refrigerated. Um, yesterday we had a couple huge donations and they ended up putting some like runoff that didn't fit in the pantry into the fridge, um, which was great, but we're just trying to make sure that everything is safe. So that's one way to donate. And then if people want to, sorry about that. <laughs> um, if you want to donate money, we have um, the GoFundMe still up. We've like reached our goal and then some, but we're still accepting donations on that. 
if you want to make a single, like a one-time donation, and if you wanted to become a patron on our Patreon, there's like a bunch of different levels if you wanted to make a monthly contribution. And then we also have, if you want to donate time, we have a volunteer form for people to fill out and all of this stuff can be found on the link tree on our Instagram. So there's a tons of ways to get involved and we would love for anybody who wants to jump in to jump in. We're also looking for um, artists. So we're going to do a call to artists if anybody wants to help paint a mural and make our shed pretty sometime in the spring. Cool. And what are some of the responsibilities that a volunteer would do? Um, so those are the people who we've had a huge array of people in like different specialties wanting to volunteer with us. And so it's been cool to sort of work out individually with our volunteers, like what they want to be doing. Um, so I've like, we have a couple of volunteers who work in fundraising and they are reaching out to like bigger companies to either get like financial donations or like big food companies to get some of their um, excess product donated to us. And then we have a couple people, like there's a couple people who work at grocery stores who are coordinating like bigger, more regular donations of food. Um, we have designers, we have, a whole array of people who are like focusing on different aspects. We have a couple people. Um, we have one volunteer who's an engineer who um, is volunteering to draw up CAD plans for us for our next uh, shed, which is really cool. Um, so I like, I love when volunteers reach out to me and just have ideas of their own because I'm a food person. Like I live in the, in the food realm and so that's like what I spend my time thinking about, but other people with other expertise, like when they have their own ideas, it's always been like super creative and super helpful additions to like a small idea. So to just see it getting bigger and bigger is like awesome. Cool. That's all questions I have. Do you have any more questions? Who is using this fridge? Um, well, the, the idea behind it is that anyone can use it. Um, we have it in a location so that um, it's right outside of Project Weber Renew. And so a lot of their clientele is using it. And so we have like specifically tailored some of the products that are in there to that site because um, they do harm reduction services. And so we are also supplying like condoms and naloxone and just things like that. Um, because a lot of their clientele will stop by like when they're closed and need some of those extra services. Um, but the idea is that the fridge is open and the pantry is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and absolutely anybody is allowed to donate and is allowed to take from the fridge. Right, but um, like, Assume that the listener has no idea where this is, who lives in this area, what Renew is. Explain it as if I'm a baby. <laughs> I don't know anything. Okay, so the the west side of Providence is not super affluent. And so they're like this uh, neighborhood is a food desert. It technically is no longer classified as a food desert because Urban Greens was opened up, but Urban Greens, as great as they are, it's not like a one-stop shop solution. 
to solving like food insecurity because Providence isn't the infrastructure of Providence doesn't really like allow easy access to food for people like who don't have cars or who don't make a ton of money. And so to put a fridge on Broad Street, which is a really busy street, it's like a, it's got a ton of foot traffic from people who live in the area. Um, there's like pretty densely populated neighborhoods all around it. Um, I don't have like the specific demographic breakdowns or anything, but just my experience of living on the West side, it's like, I'm not wealthy. <laughs> um, this isn't a crazy wealthy area. Um, and so it's just for people who it's like the community is helping itself. And so that's like, that's been the most rewarding part of the project for me, I think, is just seeing like neighbors and people who live in the in the actual neighborhood donating supplies and taking supplies and just being able to help ourselves. Um, yeah, because if you don't have a car, it's hard to get to places like Urban Greens or to, I don't even know what the other closest grocery store would be, maybe Price Rate on Atwell's or whatever that place is. But yeah, it just, we're trying to promote access to good food in as many little pockets and neighborhoods as we can. Do you get the sense that the people who are using the fridge and like people who are getting food from the fridge um they're like people with housing they have accesses to kitchens and like tools and stuff or do you get the sense that there's a lot of um unhoused people using the fridge i would say it's i would say it's a good mix i would say just based on my observations of what gets taken from the pantry really quickly versus what stays for longer suggests that more unhoused people are using the supplies because the things that fly off the shelves, the shelf is like uh, tampons and pads, like all the feminine hygiene products, all stuff like that. And then like fresh produce and things that are ready to eat. But the things that sort of tend to stay on the shelves are things that need to be prepared. So like that pancake mix has been sitting there for a couple of days, which suggests to me that like somebody's not taking it because they can't use it. Because if you don't have a stove to cook pancakes on, you have no use for pancake mix. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're trying to stock it as much as we can with things that are ready to eat and ready and just super accessible for anybody. Yeah. With so with no kitchen mind, at all. With that in mind, do you have advice for people who want to donate? Like, let's pretend somebody doesn't have a can opener. We want to make sure we're donating cans that can open without a can opener. So just things for people to keep in mind. Do you have exactly. Advice? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, I am about to do another like in search of posts or like a call for supplies post where um, I really wanna get some more um, like clothing. So I think people are like really on the ball for food donations, but I wanna make people aware that we're accepting more than that. So a couple of days ago, I dropped off a bunch of um, like blankets and sheets and socks and gloves and mittens and things like that. 
and they were all gone within a couple hours and it's like you know the weather's been bad it's going to remain cold for a while and so um i would love to see some more like supplies and clothing to keep warm i would love to see more i mean when the fridge is actually up and running it'll be much easier but more like fresh produce and um meals that like cold meals that you can eat as is so like sandwiches and pastas and things like cooked pastas and things like that that um you don't need to heat up and you don't need any like tools or equipment you can just take it and go yeah i was going to ask about that when the when the fridge is up and working if you would invite people to bring like prepared meals in little uh containers because andy and i volunteer for a kitchen and we always have 10 or 20 leftover meals that yeah. that like nobody is nobody can eat 10 things of uh, meatloaf or something like that so it'd be good to be able to have somewhere to drop them off exactly yeah so we're trying to navigate the like health department aspect of all of this mm -hmm. um <laughs> because before we even got the go-ahead to set up uh, referee reached out and uh, said that they were inspected by the health department and the health department said that they're not allowed to accept any homemade meals, even ones that come from restaurants. And so we're sort of following suit on that, especially because we're brand new, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's sort of sad because the other, like another facet of this project is to reduce food waste. Um, and like, anywhere we can try to do that we are trying to do that but when it comes to food safety like that is more of a concern especially for the health department and so we're trying i we might reach out to the health department and sort of like ask or try to negotiate on like if there are any like rules or regulations about like a really good labeling system and allergens and things like that um, to see if in the future we'll be able to accept meals like the leftover meatloaf and stuff, especially things that come from like commercial kitchens. Like I totally understand a health department being concerned about like home cooked meals where, you know, they're, they're not food professionals who are trained in food safety. I understand those concerns, but it's sort of lost on me why professional commercial kitchens wouldn't be able to donate like their leftover food. I mean, so so you're in terms of need. You said menstrual products, um, like cold weather gear, mm -hmm. uh, and there are just boxes to leave this kind of stuff there. So we have, I want to say, what is it? Four shelves on our pantry. Yeah, four so, shelves. Four shelves. So the top three were designed like for food products <laughs> and then the bottom shelf is much like taller um and so we've been using the bottom shelf for miscellaneous supplies like that's where i was storing all of the blankets and things like that um and then the top the very top shelf was where we were putting like menstrual products and condoms and naloxone and deodorant chapsticks soaps sunscreen, all of things like that, those have been really, really popular. There's a lot of need for those as well. How do you get the word out to people who might need it? Like, is there advertising? 
for the fridge, like, hey, turn this corner and there's condoms and naloxone. Yeah, that's something that we're brand new. So I'm still sort of trying to navigate um, the messaging aspect for like we it's been really easy to do messaging for volunteers and people who want to donate because like Instagram's a really powerful tool. Um, but on the other side, we're still trying to figure out the best ways to communicate with the people who are using the fridge. And so we know that Renew is doing a lot of that messaging for us with like telling their clientele, making announcements of their own to like their networks. But like on the ground, that's a pretty good idea of like having like um, little signs or roadmaps or something to direct people who might need it um, towards our little our little stop. One time I saw um, there were these little sheets of paper that you could take. They're about this big that had circled the location on like a Google map of where the fridge is. And so you could think of something like that, that maybe says like pass it along or something. And, and it's like a piece of paper for somebody to give somebody else with like minimal wording, just in case yeah. you can't read, for example, but it has the picture location at least of where the fridge is in That's that. Really I don't know. Just an idea, I guess. I, I've seen it somewhere. I think it was in like Berlin or something. Word of mouth will do its thing. I think people, especially people who, you know, are a little bit disenfranchised, uh, may not be as trusting of a flyer or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess you got to hope that word of mouth does its thing. Yeah, I mean, so far. It's not like we've stocked the pantry and it's been sitting there. Um, so we, we know that people are using it, but just to be able to get the word out to as many people as we can help as possible, would that's ideal. <laughs> Plus, I think it's good to be in direct communication with the community that you're serving. You can't just feel assuming like, oh, they want this and this and this. It's like, you gotta actually Definitely. talk to them. Yeah, I'm trying to also figure out a way, I don't know if it's going to be able to like, because again, what you were saying about people being like not not trusting of like a flyer or a survey or any type of communication like that, which is totally understandable. I've been trying to figure out a way to um, get some data about what the biggest needs are for our specific community. Cause it's like, I can look at the data from other community fridges in Providence. I can look at the data from other community fridges around the world, but it's like, again, like I, we want to be able to serve the needs and the specific needs of the people who are here and who are using it. Yeah. Are there, is it just a couple of y'all like making a, board for lack of a better term or do you have a lot of people involved we have like our core it's the three of us and then two more people who have been doing like most of the the setup um and now that we're like we've gotten up and running there's i think on our volunteer network we're at last time i checked 26 people um, and so that's been really cool. It's been really easy to, if I notice like the fridge is super low and I'm low on time or whatever, 
it's been really easy to just be able to text a couple people and from our network and see if they can make a drop off. Um, so that's been really cool. But I think every day we've gotten one or two more volunteers, um, which is awesome. That is awesome. What are some of the challenges that you've been facing? Um, it's been, well, it's been, cha it's been challenging to... This dude's laughing. <laughs> It's, it's been really challenging to get the fridge up and running, like the fridge itself. It's been, oh, it's been funny actually. We like custom built the sh the shed to fit over this brick column um, that has this electrical box, specifically through the the requests of our hosts. And then the day we were coming to install it, I got a frantic call saying, um, "There's no outlet in there." <laughs> And so we were like, well, we have to come install it anyways. And we've been making do ever since. But um, a couple days later, I got another frantic call saying, um, we, can, is it possible to move that whole shed to another brick column about 25 feet down? And we were like, yeah, we'll make it work. Because it turns out that that column with the electrical box needs uh, to be accessed by the fire department or fire marshal or something. And so they have to get a new outlet installed on a new brick column and we're going to have to pull that whole thing out and move it somewhere else. So that's been a huge just physical challenge. <laughs> and then our other challenges are, yeah, just trying to figure out how to make it consistent. I like, I spend like all day worrying about like, I'm going to make a drop off or somebody's, somebody from the community is going to make a drop off early in the morning. And then it's all going to go in an hour and then I'll check up on it again. And it'll just be completely empty. And like, who's going to stop by hoping and expecting there to be things for them. And it's empty. Like that's just my worst fear. Um, so it's been like a, a big challenge to figure out how to get consistent supplies rotating in and out all the time. Have you gotten any negative feedback? Are people Yelp reviewing your fridge? I'm sorry, there's another siren. I totally missed that. <laughs> you do live on Broad Street. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are people Yelp reviewing? Oh, are people Yelp reviewing your fridge? Are you getting any negative feedback? I haven't personally heard any negative feedback. I went, um, what was it, two days ago? And like, there were a couple, like people had like written stuff like in pencil on the fridge. It wasn't anything bad, but just like people were like tagging the fridge, which I was taking as some feedback to like, get some color on there. <laughs> so um, there's that. And then there's also, I don't know, I've just been taking like close notes about what is staying there. So I'm like, okay, people do not want cans of beans, which totally makes sense. Like that's one of the most accessible food items for people who are living on like really low budgets. Um, that totally makes sense to me. And then things like the pancake mix or like more complicated food items. I'm starting to figure out that 
like through observations, um, there are just certain things that people are not responding as positively to. And so that's something that like, when I'm making posts to our volunteers of ideas for what they can donate, I'll say like, we need more of this and less of, less of that. What about baby food? Do you take baby food? Absolutely. I was, uh, this, this weekend, I was thinking about um, making a baby specific supply run. So I wanted to get like baby food, formula, diapers, wipes, like all stuff like that. We saw there's like a sale, I want to say at Stop and Shop of like, what's that stuff called? Ensure or Pedialyte, um, stuff that's like more high performance, like bulking baby food. Um, so I thought that might be <laughs> just like an extra boost of, uh, nutrition because that stuff I mean like I don't have any kids um but it's like crazy to see how expensive those products are um so if we can get like a good like par like just a good like backstock of supplies like that so we can have a consistent flow of stuff like that I think that would be really helpful you can make so a tiny baby fridge we, we should get a baby fridge it's a good idea there's like with the space constraints at project weber it's sort of hard to do all of the things that we want to be able to do because our pantry is pretty small like there's a brick wall in the way so it's not that deep it's maybe like a foot deep um and if we had more space i would love to do like a second fridge or like a, a pantry that's like three or four times the size with like specific cubbies for like just to keep it more organized and to have maybe like a rack for clothing to hang on and just yeah just to like have almost like, a, like almost like a whole storefront but everything's free like I would love to see books there I would love to see like different aisles essentially of like anything that somebody wants to take and anything anybody wants to leave like I would I would love to be able to do that maybe at our second location we'll get a little more expansive <laughs> cool I think that's all of my questions just uh if there's anything that you want to advertise, um, you know, I'm constantly reposting things on Instagram, but you can send stuff to me directly if you want me to get the word out. That would be really great because yeah, we're always trying to get the word out. You have a website or anything? Uh, what's your Patreon link? Um, I can send the, the actual Patreon link to you. We don't have a website yet, but we have just like our link tree, which will send you to like Instagram, email, a bunch of different articles if you want to learn more about community fridges in general, our GoFundMe, our Patreon, like all that stuff. So I can send I can send you that. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, coming on the show and talking about your fridge. And uh, it looks great. Andy dropped off a donation earlier uh yesterday i think mm -hmm. uh, yeah it was a, a huge donation it like filled up the pantry completely so that was great and he had a lot of good things to say about it too so thank you guys for taking the time to come on yeah thanks for having us thank you so much yeah. the musical guest for today as requested by sarah in the gang is bocek from providence so if you like what you hear check them out and as always if you enjoyed the podcast find our patreon I'm a subscriber for bonus content 
and find the community fridge and drop some stuff off. Thanks for listening.